It's free, the invitation that God has for us today on this Christmas Eve. Our text, uh, the word of God, comes from Isaiah 55 today. I'll read it for us. Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen and listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest affair. This beautiful invitation comes from the prophet Isaiah. It's fitting for us today as we celebrate Christmas Eve, the birth of our Savior on Christmas Day. We return to God's invitation. If you look on our stage and you've been with us this past month, past month and through the season of Advent, you've been slowly seeing our manger scene being built into its fruition. If this is your first time, just imagine it deconstructed slowly as a bit building. And we wanted to share what it meant to prepare him room, our theme for Advent. In the season of waiting, what does it mean for us to prepare him room, prepare Jesus, prepare room for Jesus? We know December is a busy season. We know there's a lot going on. But what does it mean for us in our hearts to prepare him room? Our family, I have four young children. Uh, We've been going through this Advent season and trying to keep uh, reminding them each week as we do our candle lighting that, you know, it's all about Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. We know there's a lot of things going on, but Christmas is about Jesus. And my six-year-old, you know, last week or a little bit uh, before that just says, yeah, yeah, it's about Jesus. But, you know, Christmas is also about presents and, and Jesus. Christmas and uh, presents and Jesus. Uh, and, you know, with all sincerity, she said it. It wasn't trying to be uh, playful or joking. She, with very sincere hearts. Like, it's about presents and, and Jesus. Obviously, we took all her presents away and threw them away to teach her a lesson. <laughs> she's out there, so no, that did not happen. She, she's somewhere out there. But I think maybe if we were honest with ourselves and we looked around, maybe a lot of us feel that way. Maybe not presents, but we would say, you know, Christmas is about family well, and Jesus. Or tradition and celebration and joyfulness and decoration and Jesus. Uh, we want to carve a portion of our time, our lives for Jesus, uh, but still hold on to all the other stuff that makes Christmas Christmas, And this is not to make us feel guilty, because those things are good, family and presence and celebration and joyfulness. But tonight, I thought we would challenge ourselves to really, really think what it means to prepare room for Jesus in our lives, where it's not just a part or a portion, but a holistic realignment to the person of Jesus. I want to challenge us in this. We're going to have time for celebration and family and tradition all this stuff, but tonight, let's really challenge what it means to prepare room in our hearts for Jesus. When we look at the first century, when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at him and the people that he interacted with, we can really break them down to two general people. We're not including the people that are far away and, in, and uh, kind of ignorant to what's going on, for the, but the people that interacted, saw him, heard him, and walked with him. There's really two types of people. First, the people that interacted and saw who he was and rejected him and walked away were against him. We know that in the first century we call these people Pharisees, right? Those who were going after Jesus and ultimately led to his crucifixion. And even the crowds who said, crucify him, 
They saw him and rejected and walked away and said, we don't want to have anything to do with him. And there's the people that interacted with Jesus and said, yes, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. The disciples and so many other people that walked with Jesus. In every instance, those people who walked with Jesus, their lives were radically transformed. It's not like they went their lives and met Jesus and said, I'll follow you, and they just kept on going. But their lives were dramatically transformed. The trajectory of their lives were shifted beyond whatever they could comprehend. They were radically transformed to the likeness of what it means to follow Jesus. Sociologist Christian Smith, in his book Soul Searching, came out uh, in the early 2000s, but he did a study. Uh, he worked with people, and he studied American culture, and especially young people, teenagers, if you're a teenager here, but back in the 2000s, uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, that, that would have been about when I was a uh, teenager, a little bit older. Uh, they did a study, and they observed and saw what was going on in the culture, and he coined this term, uh, and you see it more often now in articles and uh, in other areas, but back then he coined this term, moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a mouthful, right? Moralistic therapeutic deism. But as those people have aged, it's really come a, a describing a framework in which how they see the American church today. And some tenets of it they talk about uh, is that you know, God exists and wants you to live a moral life according to the Bible. <clears throat> those, that seems good enough. But this is where it gets a little bit different. That the central kind of the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself, which can be found through introspection and self-discovery. Be the best you can be. Search within yourself. Don't judge other people. And he talks about how God doesn't really necessarily need to be involved in your life, except when you need something or a problem that needs to be solved. Now, you have to remember, Smith isn't propagating an ideology or even a new way, but he's trying to show a framework or describe what he's observing in the Christian culture or in the American church. And what he's describing is people have chosen an in-between way. They haven't rejected Jesus. They haven't walked away from him, nor have they made the shift and say, I will follow you, sacrifice all that I have, and walk with you. We've chosen an in-between way. Our lives and Jesus Christmas Eve, and we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, I want to challenge us, like I said, with three simple questions. Do we actually want to move to more like this from where we are? Is that something even in us that we really want to do? Second, how do we move in that direction? And third, what is the impact? How does this play out in our lives? The first question is about motivation. How do we even move do we even want to move? Maybe uh, you're here just to honor your parents or your grandparents. Maybe your family brought you here. We're so thankful that you're here. You know, the idea of coming and listening to something that you may not agree with, so grateful that you're here. And you have to challenge yourself. Do we even want to? And that's some, a motivation you have to figure out on yourself. Maybe for you who are comfortable in saying, hey, this is, this is my life and I'm happy what it means to be a Christian. I don't really want to move in that direction. Just understand what that means. The motivation that Isaiah gives is something I believe that God is trying to speak to all of us. It's this life and life to the full. That Jesus offers us so much more than we can ever hope for. 
See, Isaiah the prophet, we have talked about over and over these past few weeks, that while he's speaking from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that he's speaking even hundreds of years before Jesus, that he's looking ahead at the Messiah, speaking in hope. But for us, we know the reality of the Messiah in Jesus. This text is about him. And what he offers is the full promise of the covenant with God. He's, he's describing what it means, the fulfillment of the promised land, for the Israelites, not in a temporary sense, in a way that can be taken away like it was in Isaiah's day, but in an everlasting sense, an everlasting walking with God where, where they can dine and, and, and enjoy the richest affair with the Lord. And when we talk about food and drink, the imagery can be slightly lost on us. In our context, I would imagine, many of us in this room are here. I know it's been a hard day. Some of you have lost power. I understand that. But hunger and thirst that Isaiah is describing in an arid ancient years culture is something maybe a little bit foreign to us, maybe a little bit distant from us. But I think we all know what it means to search for something, push for something, and live our lives for something and finding out it never really truly satisfies us. A letter I was reading just um, those, you know, those articles where people write letters to kind of an uh, an editor or someone, they give responses. One letter I came across that I thought was really uh, interesting. Uh, this person is describing how they have everything in life they could have ever wanted. They have more money than they could ever have hoped for. They have a great job, uh, a great family, a great house. And the letter goes on like this. And the person says, yet despite all these outward appearances of success, I don't feel satisfied at all. It is as if I work and work, get the house, and want, then, then I want a bigger house or a newer house. No matter what happens, it's never enough. I finally get the promotion and make a lot more money, and within a year, I'm complaining that my income is too low. I treat myself and buy a new sports car, and it feels good for the moment that I'm on to the next yearning. It is this feeling of that I never have enough. I feel like a hamster running and running on a wheel, and I'm trying to get out, get to a state of peace, and yet all I do is run around never getting anywhere, and he titles himself Never Enough. I wonder if you can relate with that a little bit in your way. I know we have a lot of students here in high school. Uh, I wonder how many of you are driven about getting into that right school. And you think all the stress and anxiety and the worry that you're working through right now, you think if you could just get into that school that you've always been wanting for, then all of that will go away. And I know we have some college students here. I wonder if you would say, yeah, is that the case? Absolutely not. Because once you get there, you know, the next thing you're thinking of is what, what, what major do I have to pursue? What, what job do I have to secure? But do you think if I can just get through all that and get the job I want and live in the city I want, everything will be okay? And we know that's not true. Because once you start that cycle, the stress and worry about, are you, am I on the right career path? Am I, gonna get, am I moving up in my organization the way I want? Am, am I pursuing the relationships that I need in my life? And it never, never ends. And maybe some of you guys think, man, if I can just get to that retirement date, everything will work out. And we know people in the retirement, and the stress and anxiety and worry never ends. What Jesus offers in Isaiah 55 is a deep satisfaction that goes beyond all of that. It's hard to describe the peace he's speaking about, the contentment, the soul richness in him. He talks about another word where it transcends even our own understanding that Jesus wants to walk with us in such a deep and satisfying way. 
that he is the living water, the bread of life. He doesn't promise you the right high school or the right college, the right job, the right spouse, wealth, or reputation. The deep satisfaction comes from the fact, whether in joy or disappointment, that he's going to walk with you. And he's going to be your very identity. I can promise every other thing you pursue will leave with more anxiety, more stress, and more worry. And eventually emptiness. But Isaiah said this, why do you labor on what does not satisfy? And Jesus comes alongside and says, eat. Eat what is good and you would delight in the richest affair, the invitation before us. What this Christmas is all about, Jesus is saying, you've been searching your whole life. You're searching and searching. You feel like you can't get enough. And the simple offer Jesus says is so much more I have for you. It's not just what you're asking for, but it's so much more. And the means and how we move along and to become the kind of person that says, I will walk with you no matter the cost, it's not even in us. See, there, there are some things that says, come to the table, come and eat, listen. But mostly it's responding to what God is already doing. And there's some fun wordplay in those two verses that we talked about. First, he calls people to come to God, the people of God to come and buy this metaphorical food and drink, something that will sustain them. Second, he recognizes that you don't even have the funds to actually buy the things he's telling you to come and buy. And third, he tells them to buy still without money, without cost. It seems like a long and complicated way to, for God to tell us, that, well, it's just free. Like the kids say, it's just free. Just come and eat. Imagine a restaurant around town that is offering free meals to anyone that would come. Seems just simple enough, right? But that's not what's happening in Isaiah. The better illustration is that the restaurant in town uh, opens and the owner has said, I will pay for all the meals and invite you to come and enjoy the meal. It may look free to you, but is it actually free? Absolutely not. Someone has paid for everything that you are enjoying. In 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that you are not your own, that you were bought at a price. And this is where the restaurant illustration breaks down because it's not about money, but he gives his very life. It says that you were bought, you were purchased, you were redeemed. In 1 Peter, it says, not with perishable things, nor with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And the only way we get to Isaiah 55 in this invitation, we go back to Isaiah 53, where it lays out what that price was. And it's Christ himself. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what this invitation means is that God poured all his wrath and anger and punishment for all the sins of the world, all the things in the world that you see, and say, that's not right. That doesn't seem like the way it's supposed to be. The things in the world that we would say is evil, the things where people are manipulating and taking advantage of other people, all the darkness you see in the world. And even when we turn that mirror upon ourselves, all the darkness in our own hearts, that hearts that breed sin and injustice and death, all the things that fall short of God's holiness, God pours that punishment on Jesus so that we could have peace with him. 
Without him, we would be crushed. But yet through him, we have life and life to the full. Not by our own works, not by our own efforts, but solely on what Jesus has done. That is the beautiful, that's the beauty of this invitation that God offers us. You don't need to bring anything to the table. It's not like you have to fix yourself up. And the more you try to fix yourself, you're missing the point of what Christmas and what Jesus is all about. And Jesus says, come, come to me and dine on the richest, the things that will satisfy you for all of eternity. You don't have to bring anything because everything has been paid for by Christ. According to ancient texts, the last thing Buddha, uh, Buddha said when he died was strive without ceasing. Keep working, figure it out, never stop. That mantra has shaped so much of our world. The American dream, everything about it. strive without ceasing, keep working until you die. Work, 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 keep grinding. But what does Christ say on the cross as final words? He says, it is finished. Jesus took on so much more than we could ever bear of ourselves. So what does this all mean? What, what, is, what is Isaiah trying to say? What is Christmas all about? Isn't you came, like Christmas is all about baby Jesus, right? We need to get baby Jesus on there, the manger, the shepherds, and the angels, bringing hope and peace and joy to all people, a time of singing and celebration, this hopefulness of Christmas Eve, yes. But Christmas isn't just a celebration. It is the critical moment in all of history where the story changed. At Christmas, we're reminded that Jesus came to usher in a new kind of kingdom. This moment in history when the heavens broke open and Christ, our Lord, was born. All of history changed. That he was ushering a new kind of kingdom, a new way of life, a new kind of people that were radically transformed, live out this new way of life. And he calls us to take that transformed life and take it to the world itself. In Isaiah 55, it talks about this everlasting covenant and how we are witnesses to this covenant. And it says to go to a nation that you do not know. And what he's saying to people that you don't even know in your life, is that it goes further than you can ever imagine to people you never thought could receive this kind of news. And when the news of this celebration of Christ coming into this world echoes further than the walls of this room, it says you can't even hold it back. The nations will come in. That people will flock to hear the good news that there's a new way of life. No more do I have to grind it out myself. But God has brought a new way. When the people of God live into the calling of God, no matter the sacrifice, the people of the world will take notice and respond. This is the Christmas story. Let's think about what Jesus did. Jesus followed the calling of the Father, no matter the sacrifice, and he came into this broken world to redeem his people. And we, his people, have taken notice and must respond and in turn carry that same message to the people around us and even further. Jesus calls us to go further than we ever dared to go. Christmas isn't a celebration in a church or in your home around a tree. It's a proclamation to the world that a new king has come. What we celebrate today is like no more will we follow the ways of old. No more will we stay in, the, in between, but we will walk towards a transformed life and be the kind of people that would change the world around us. It is a flag in the ground saying no more will we be the way we were. The world has changed and Christmas is the beginning. And all that starts with 
a personal response to the invitation before you. I'm going to reread Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. And no matter where you are, where you are, uh, where you are on your walk, maybe you are someone who's in that one camp that says, I, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I'm just here to be honored in my family. Examine your heart. Ask, is this true? Do I want to hear this good news? Do I want to believe this invitation from the Lord? Maybe some of us are in the in-between. I'm saying, Jesus is just a portion of my life. Jesus is just this nice little part. Once a week, I can keep over there. Maybe God has challenged us to fully live into what it means to receive the good news of Jesus. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Spoken through the prophet Isaiah, but spoke from God himself and Jesus. And it says this, come. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the riches of fair. The invitation is before us all. For all of us to walk in a way that follows and responds to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you not as ones uh, who are orphans or slaves, but ones who have been called uh, to be a son and daughter of the Most High God. Father, the offers before all of us today of what it means to receive and come and eat at your table. Lord, but it does call for a change of heart, a recognition that we are fallen and fall short of your glory, knowing our sinfulness, the ways we've erred and walked away from you, and to step in faith to receive this invitation, this free offer of grace. Lord, I pray for all of us as we examine our hearts and search after you. Father, as the Holy Spirit leads, to step in faith, to live a life that's radically transformed for the sake of the world, to be your church, Father, proclaiming the light of the gospel to all peoples. And Father, all our days that we may worship you and love you. King Jesus, we pray. Amen.